it sort of happened, but I think it will feel real when we when we open the apples up. I think it will feel much more real. It we've had different phases of realness, you mm. know, buying the land, doing the chickens, you know, having a few products for sale and expanding that, and then Doug leaving his job to focus solely on the farm. Planting thousands of trees also made it feel very real. Yeah, there's been different stages of realness, but I would say it's going to feel like a real, real thing when uh, people are coming up here, ideally. Hey, besties. Welcome back to another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. This is Anastasia, your That's Rad host, back at it again for another episode. And before I say anything more, I just wanted to sincerely thank everyone for all of your support so far on this new season of That's Rad. I got more great comments from our first newsletter than I ever could have expected. And I just truly love our new promotional images from Alexa Rivera. A banana phone? I mean, I'm just too clever with that. Anyways, I am personally so excited for you all to hear this new episode. I always find it a good sign when I'm laughing while I'm editing, but I always think me and my friends are funny, so maybe I'm not the best judge of that. But I hope you laugh today, too. And who are we laughing with today, you ask? Well, we talk so much about the experience of more well-established farms, like our friends at Meadowstone and Smarlax Farm, who have been around for 10, 15 years. But similar to when we talk to startup co-ops, the experience of older farms and their farmers can differ a ton from those in the beginning of the process. So if we wanted to talk about local farms on this show, I wanted to make sure I'm showing multiple perspectives. Luckily, I knew just the people to talk about this with. My friends Emily and Doug are great people who also happen to be starting a farm. Wow, I love my friends, especially when they can contribute to my podcast. Doug and Emily are stewards of Telman Hill Farm in Whitefield, New Hampshire, a farm currently offering poultry products, soon to be a multifaceted apple orchard. And how do they get from point A to point B? And frankly, how did they get to point A to begin with? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. But just for a preview, I can tell you their story includes a lot of community support unrelenting hard work, and the willingness to take a risk, at least once in a while, which is an idea I think a lot of us could stand to learn from, myself included. But really, I'm not the one to be telling you all of this. Let's hear the full story from the experts, Emily Meacham and Doug Morin, of Telman Hill Farm, right now on That's Rad. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Emily and Doug. I accidentally opposite. looked opposite. It's okay. Uh, I won't be offended. Emily <laughs> and Doug, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you for being here today and inviting me into your absolutely amazing home. I, I wish you could see it, but I don't know if we could fit everyone inside. No. 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 And you wouldn't want that. It's a little cozy in here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe just starting off, you want to tell me, tell us a little about yourselves who are Doug and Emily. We'll get into why you're here later, but... You know, you start. Sure. Uh, so I'm Doug Morin, and I was born and grew up in Concord, New Hampshire, and spent a number of years elsewhere, came back to the Northeast, and ended up working with the Department of Fish and Wildlife in Vermont for the state for about 10 years, which is where I met Emily, and we wound up here together. I'm Emily Meacham. I'm also a forester when I'm not farming. I work with forest insects and pathogens, diseases, fungus in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. It's very fun. And I moved to this region from Northwestern Maine like 10 years ago. And uh, we moved here about four years ago. Do you want to tell them where we are? Yeah, so we're, we're uh, in the house that was built in the 1950s by the then dairy farmers. This was a Harris family dairy farm. Historically, the property has been farmed at least since the 1800s, and we're on the very southern edge of Whitefield. So our southern property boundary is both the town boundary with Bethlehem and the county boundary from Coas to Grafton. So we're in Coas County right now. So the property is uh, roughly 187 acres with about 50 acres of open land. So historically those were pastures for most recently cattle, but uh, farther back we have stone walls going hither and yon through the woods. So sheep uh, would have been here in the 17 and 1800s. And now we have named it Talman Hill Farm. We met the Talman family, which were the most recent previous owners. They purchased it from the dairy farmers who had gone out of business. And the Talmans donated a conservation easement on the property, which is giving away the development rights. So it's a permanent deed restriction that stays with the property. So we have a small area right around our house that we can do things like a parking lot or another house. But with the exception of that, everything else on the property has to be either forestry or agriculture related in perpetuity, so forever. We named our operation Telman Hill Farm in honor of their generosity to donate that easement. And for us personally, that reduces the purchase price of the property, the land value considerably, so that made it possible for us to step into this and have a go at actually trying to make an income off of the land. Yeah. So it sounds like from what you're saying, that is a very rare thing that happened, <laughs> that they were just kind of like, here you go. Like, yeah. it's not, that's not a usual process for how this happens. Yeah, I mean, it's a small portion of New Hampshire and the Northeast landscape that is conserved. Particularly in this case, it was voluntary by the family. That is to say, they donated it. You know, we have lots of great conservation organizations in the state, like the Forest Society and, and locally the Amanusa Conservation Trust. So this kind of work is, is ongoing, but, you know, it takes a lot of money and a lot of time. And it's a small portion of land that is able to go through that process. Yeah. 
And they donated the development rights to NEF, New England Forestry Foundation. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to throw that in there. I have to say this is actually a little disappointing because although I've never seen the movie, there's a movie called We Bought a Zoo. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have not seen it, but I hear it's full of hijinks and the like. And that's what I was kind of hoping for. <laughs> it was like, We Bought? Or like, I don't know, something. So it... <laughs> How did you, did you know the Tellmans before this? Or how did you actually end yeah. up here on this land versus how did the land come to be? I can, I can say things now. You can fix it if I mess up. So we had a couple of connections to Tanya Tellman. One was that we were doing some volunteering with The Rocks and Nigel, who worked there and ran everything up there forever, was a good friend of Tanya's and let her know that we had been looking for farmland for many years. And then the other connection was the person who actually wrote the conservation easement for this property is a friend of Doug's family's. She was casually looking for people who wanted to farm. And it's a unique it's a unique property in that it's an old dairy farm. There's no infrastructure on the property. And it's also a small home, so it's our dream scenario, <laughs> but uh, it can be, can be tough for some people wanting to get into farming. And we heard about the property, and Tanya and her son showed us around, but we really didn't know anything about it until, because it was in the process of being reassessed after they gave away the development rights, so, yeah, it was like a year-long process, and we kind of signed a, like, writer first refusal, I think, was our process. But, yes, it was, it was very generous, and she was very excited to have someone here who would try and farm and understood that that's, like, a, a difficult process to start. But how we ended up here, really, we, we both were working in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, and we're looking for farmland in the general Northeast Kingdom of Vermont or this area of New Hampshire and kind of preferred this part of New Hampshire. Doug grew up in New Hampshire. We love the mountains. New Hampshire's better. New Hampshire's the best. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. And then, yeah, this just after several years of looking for anything and scouring maps and talking to people, we got connected here and it all just worked out. Very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it worked out too that this was your dream as opposed to something else opening up and you're like, okay, we'll have to like compromise on this and compromise on this. But no, um, I'm sure there were some, you know, none. Well, and almost the opposite that we, in the process of looking for land, which we found difficult to find something suitable for agriculture, we had kind of scaled back our vision of what we might do when we found this property and through the generosity of the Tellman family donating the easement that enabled us to think bigger than we would have otherwise. So we, yeah. we showed up here and said, oh boy, now we have to actually do this. <laughs> uh, and this and real. really make more ambitious plans than we were thinking at that yeah. point. Yeah. Wow. So you had said, and I mean you both said, that you were looking for a while for properties. So that leads me to ask, did you always imagine this being your career and this being your life? And then what sort of, you know, history do you have with farming, outdoorsmanship? I mean, we're both, not we, 
because I am not included in this in any way. <laughs> no, you are. You're fine. Um, you are. You're yeah, I, a, I am also, we are all foresters Third here. and equal partner. So, <laughs> since we're all foresters, you know, mm-hmm. talk about, like, was this the goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I blame Emily completely yeah. for the agricultural operation here. Okay. Yeah. yeah, totally my fault. <laughs> um, and yes, this is the, the dream scenario. Yes, I, I've wanted to farm for a long time, decades, but I never knew if I would be able to do it in this, yeah. I feel very lucky that everything, the stars really aligned. Like, in what sense did you not? Like, personally, you were like, I don't believe in myself, or like, financially, or land-wise, or... Mostly financially, you know, it's just a a hefty lift. And land availability, it's tough. We like to make the joke that Emily, after college, spent (laughs) many years working on other people's farms but decided that it wasn't financially sustainable and so went back to school for something that would be more lucrative and she chose forestry. Yes, yes. And if you know anything about forestry, (laughs) then that's a funny joke. It's basically investment banking, please. Yeah, yeah. Yes, one of the, my last, one of my favorite farmers that I spent a lot of time working with and they said, you know, I think you've learned enough. You need to actually go make more money than you're making now. And so, yes, I decided... Forestry seems very lucrative, and yeah. I mean, in some ways it was. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. and I, I had never contemplated farming. Uh, I went to school for environmental science and natural resources and was always interested in wildlife. Became a wildlife biologist for 10 years, which was great, and I was trying to blend the outdoor time and doing satisfying things with my hands with the indoor and conceptual interests that I had. And that balance just kept pushing farther and farther towards emails and office time, which is at the same time that I had met Emily and we were living together and we started growing a garden and we were raising ducks on our tiny little postage stamp property that we were renting in Barnet and things became more real and we started thinking more about, well, how could we transition to uh, an agricultural operation for either some or all of our income long term? I remember distinctly, like, about 10 years ago when we were in the kitchen of one of our apartments and I'm listing off all the animals that we were eventually going to have and then you stopped and said, how, how many animals are we talking? And I think that was the moment when you realized this was, like, not a little hobby, but this is mm-hmm. going to be real. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out perfectly. Yes, it did. Uh, so, yeah, go. So- <laughs> So in in my head, in my movie version of oh, your life, yes, um, there is like that moment, kind of like what you just said of, okay, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. This has happened. Do you think, for this farm specifically, that moment has happened yet, and what it is, or is it going to be somewhere in the future? And then like, where do you think that milestone? will be where it feels real. Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's sort of happened, but I think it will feel real when we, I'm sure we will get to this, we will get to this, I know, when we start, when we open the apples up, I think it will feel much more real. It We've had different phases of realness, you mm. know, buying the land, 
doing the chickens, you know, having a few products for sale and expanding that. And then Doug leaving his job to focus solely on the farm. Planting thousands of trees also made it feel very real. Yeah, there's been different stages of realness, but I would say it's going to feel like a real, real thing when uh, people are coming up here, ideally, mm-hmm. every fall they <laughs> to pick apples. I agree. One of the One of the moments where we both look back and, and like to joke uh, about the, the repercussions of it that were positive. Oh, yes. But uh, the summer we purchased the farm in 2019, we looked out at the fields and said, well, if we're going to do apple trees, you need to custom order your apple trees so they can be grafted. So you get a rootstock and the variety that are grown together so you get exactly what you want. You have to do that two years ahead of time. So we thought, we've got all this land, we want to do apples, Let's just put it in order. And so we looked at it and said, well, it takes 500 trees to get a bulk discount, so let's order 500 trees. <laughs> and we're, we'll just deal with it two years from now. Yeah. And I think that was no a really good <laughs> kind of commitment mechanism that for us. That is so how I deal with my problems. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't think if it had come to the spring of 2021, <laughs> if someone had said, do you want to buy 500 apple trees? I think if we would have said, oh, goodness, we're not ready for that. But they were already coming. So from there on, it's just been, you know, one foot in front of the other. And Doug likes to blame me for the farming in general. I 100% blame Doug for the apples. (laughs) He says we, and I know we talked about it. But all of a sudden, he was like, "We're these trees are going to show up in the mail. We have to we have to figure this out." And I felt like it just came out of nowhere. I know it didn't, but it felt like it came out of nowhere. It was very exciting. Well, that was my other thought, was like, maybe you had accidentally started doing all these little things, and then woke up one day and was like, do we have a farm? <laughs> like, it was a little more intentional little more than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. thankfully, through Emily's large amount of experience, we could rule some things in and some things out. So she had worked on an orchard before and, and said, oh, yes, I liked that type of work. And worked on a bunch of veggie farms before and said, oh, that that work actually doesn't suit me that well. Mm. All of the bending over and for me, being in the direct sunlight all the time is just misery. But we knew we liked the idea of an orchard. And then the other thing is this property is well suited to that. So it's at almost 1,500 feet. Parts of it are at 1,500 feet. So relatively high elevation being this far north. Very rocky as the stone walls all around here can attest. So it's not prime vegetable growing mm-hmm. soil. So basically livestock and perennial trees are what mm-hmm. makes sense here. And so that's what we're pursuing. Totally. Yeah, and Doug, you spent some time on a vegetable farm a little bit and, and with a friend's farm and quickly learned that squatting all the time and being in the sun were not for you. Yeah. And I agree. I didn't actually mention my past experience. Can I do that? I didn't. No, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It wasn't, it was mostly many years dabbling while I did other jobs or just a mix of things, but it was a lot of vegetable farms, a lot of like diversified operations with, that had a lot of livestock and a lot of vegetables. I did in a few different situations get to work on horse powered farms. So no tractors, which was so cool. And uh, we will not be doing that. (laughs) but it was amazing. But that's where I got most of my livestock experience. And then my families on both sides for generations have been farmers, predominantly dairy farmers. Um, So that was 
it's just, you know, I guess it's in my blood, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I like that it sounds like, even though there are hard things about this and about any career, I think people who don't understand farming as much think, like, there's only one way to do it. Like, they Mm. think of a vegetable farm. Like, Mm -hmm. I think of the hard labor of squatting and Mm -hmm. being in the sun and picking and all that, but it sounds like they're still within the idea of farming different avenues you can take and you can figure out what you like to do and what you don't like to do rather than just being stuck with this is your career this is exactly how it's going to be you have to do these tasks so that's good that's a little customized there and (laughs) and i think it i mean it works too because we are a known region for apples obviously that is due to the climate but also you know, if we started a pineapple farm, <laughs> like you would have to create a whole new marketing, you know, mm-hmm. scheme around come to New Hampshire for the pineapple farm <laughs> versus it's like, we already are coming for the apple orchards. Yes. So. Right. Yeah. And Emily and I both really like the, the kind of nostalgia of the, mm-hmm. you know, fall visits to an apple orchard and the pumpkins and decorative corn and pick your own apples and all of that so that's the kind of warm feeling that we see the opportunity to to have here in the region and there really isn't much for orchards around here there are a few small ones um, but you know a lot of people are driving an hour to get to the nearest pick your own so i think it's it's fun that it's an opportunity that we think we can provide here yeah definitely switching gears a little bit yeah What's it like doing all of this with your partner? So gross. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense because Obvi- Doug is gross. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. In, in all cases, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> is this thing on? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been great. You get all of the normal challenges of work bleeding into life and not knowing what is vacation time and what is not vacation time and and those things. But I think generally Emily and I are on the same page about our overall vision and it's fairly easy to check in and just say, hey, what do you think about this idea? And one of us will say, nope, that's garbage. We should be doing this instead. And you think, oh, yeah, actually, that's really helpful. So My so. idea was garbage. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Thank sometimes you. you need someone to tell you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's trash. I know we should start playing like games of cribbage to compete for our ideas, you know? Like, oh, to see whose ideas win? Yeah, for example, mm-hmm. a pineapple farm. I'm liking that. Seems yeah. like good business decision-making yeah. strategy. Absolutely. Yep. I mm-hmm. feel like there's also the benefit of me personally. I have a lot of those like midnight ideas where yes. I just like wake up and I'm like, pineapple farm. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have to what, write an email. You know, you just yeah, shake yeah. the person next to you and you're like, we're doing mm-hmm. a pineapple farm. Yeah, so that we seems pretty convenient. Spent a lot of time hiking and skiing, discussing business ideas yes. and yeah. dreaming about the future. Yeah, that's what I was going to add. Other other than gross, um, no, it's fantastic. But I think we realized very early on that we we do like work very well together, and we just have very similar. We're very aligned with visions and what we want and how we want to accomplish them. We're both, <laughs> for better or for worse, we're both very 
risk averse and planners. And so it was good that Doug just, you know, bought all those hundreds of trees yeah. because we would have overthought that. I would have overthought that for a long time. But yeah, so that that's a nice balance, I guess, there. But yeah, in general, we kind of have a similar way of moving through tasks and planning, which is nice. So would you say this is a job a where you have to be okay with the melding of like work and life, you can't log out at five o'clock, or is it more of a personal decision that you operate that way? You're saying it. I know. I'm, you have to. The, yeah, the listeners can't see my head moving. I, I I do think that it's pretty much melts, and I think you sure there's ways to say like, oh no, work talk, but we both enjoy it, so maybe that will change. But no, I think it just kind of melts, especially because things happen all the time. You yeah. know the. Animals still need water on the weekends and stuff. They don't know it's a federal holiday. They don't know. Yeah. Do you want to add to that? Yeah, and that's, I mean, certainly with the poultry we raise now, so we have meat chickens and layers and turkeys that we've done, and those birds need feed and water and to be checked twice a day, every day, and um, even the apple trees a lot of times a year there are quiet times for weeks at a time, but other times there are things that absolutely have to get done at 7 a.m. on a Saturday, and that's what you do. Okay, everyone, special guest joining us. Silas! Yes. Thanks for joining What's coming over? <laughs> now with feeling. Okay. So, I... Again, in my head, which may or may not be accurate with reality, <laughs> I can imagine that a lot of farms encounter the same sort of issues, but then at the same time, farms are separated by their location, the soil quality, who's running it, and our climate specifically, I feel like, creates a pretty unique situation. So then, if you have a question, is there a resource for you to go to? Like, do you look it up on YouTube? Do you ask people? Like, how do you figure out this sort of uncharted territory? Uh, I'll start. I know I told you to answer this one, but you, you have more stuff for the later part, so I'll just start a little bit. But we, we're very lucky that UNH has an extension program, so we have a county extension person who's amazing, and that's kind of our first stop when we have issues, and then they go to specialists or people in other states, so there are usually people in academia who specialize in all things farming. But I, I looked at your, your little list here, and basically we use all of these things, other farmers... The internet, books, research articles, and academia and academic professionals. Now you you go. But there's examples you can give. Yeah, I think that was a good summary. I mean, the you know the apple trees have. It's not so simple as just throwing an apple seed in the ground and you know coming <laughs> back in ten years and picking <laughs> apples. I mean, it can be, but then you don't know what kind of apples you're going to get or if that tree is going to survive. So. Being a perennial crop, they're stuck in the ground, they can't go anywhere, which means they're vulnerable to the weather and to pests and pathogens of all sorts. 
thankfully there are a lot of good resources about how to deal with those things. And so there's a New England specific guide to managing apples and it talks about training and pruning and the different pests you might see and how to monitor for them and how to deal with them. And, you know, we've been actively in discussion with all the, not only UNH extension, but other states sometimes. If you have a question and, and maybe the UNH person says, I'm not quite sure, let me ask the person over in Maine or down in Connecticut. So it's been super helpful there. Yeah. And then as Emily said, other farmers, producers groups, there's a, a pastured poultry association that we belong to where there's a, a message board and listservs of people comparing notes on the best way to raise your chickens outdoors because most chickens are not raised outdoors currently. So it's kind of a small minority of farmers that are doing this weird thing of having chickens outside, which we think makes for happier chickens and better chickens. But, you know, it's great to be able to trade notes with someone who's in Tennessee, but there may be things about their system that apply just as well to ours. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, I think for the apples, we've been relying a lot on the, you know, academic support extension and research and books but for poultry I would say or for livestock it's mostly books we have a whole wall of books and then it's mostly my my experience my past experience with livestock and I think that's been the most helpful thing and we even asked one of our friends who's a big time livestock farmer now and he said it was his experience that helped him the most which was nice and, and that makes that. sense. It's the it does. actual hands-on stuff. Yeah. As opposed to the theoretical, well, if this happens. Totally. But, yeah. yeah. That is very similar, I feel, to the experience we as a co-op have. Because mm-hmm. we as a co-op are members of other co-ops with mm-hmm. other co-ops. And I, I'm just saying it all we're sounds a co-op very cooperative. Yes, yes, <laughs> it is. And, you know, they organize calls for all of us to be on. There are message boards of like, hey, co-ops are experiencing this issue. And it's like, oh, I am too. I am too. So Mm. that's good to hear that you're not just out here on your own in the middle of the Whitefield Bethlehem town line. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. And, And the other fun thing was for the first time this past year, we're at the Littleton Farmer's Market. <clears throat> where I was with some wooden chairs that I make, which keeps me busy now in the winters. But uh, that was a great opportunity just to walk across the market to go talk to the flower farmer or the meat farmer or you know someone I hadn't met yet and chat with other farms and kind of get networked locally in the area too. Yeah. Are we sitting in these chairs? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Are you more comfortable than you've ever been ever? Yes, literally. (laughs) It's it's not a wooden chair. It's a experience. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, But speaking of last year and speaking of the weather, if we think back to spring 2023... It was not as it sounds with the idea of spring in that we had those unprecedented levels of frost, just like crazy cold weather that hurt so many farms, including the already established orchards around here. So I would love if you could tell us what was your experience like during that time? What has the aftermath been like? And then what sort of natural things do you 
have to look forward to <laughs> in the future that you're keeping an eye out for? So, so many things. Um, yes, there was a historic freeze event in May, and we were very lucky in that we were not planning on producing fruit this past season. So it was actually very good timing to, it's just kind of an eye-opener to show you that like, okay, we can have, you know, we, we try and plan for crop loss or devastating crop loss, but it was good to see that this happens and we'll be looking at this and this will this will happen to us at some point. But basically what happened is most of the orchards all over New England were at some stage of flowering. So the flowers were either just forming or fully, fully blossomed. And that's when the tree is most sensitive to frost and freeze, really the only time. And so that freeze event occurred when the trees were so vulnerable, which is a, a common thing we talk about with climate change. And in my line of work, not just in farming, but also in forestry, that we are likely going to be seeing later frost events and in the season, which is a, a problem. So we, we did some quick scans. There's ways to, um, the flowers don't just die. Um, so they kind of look fine, but you go out and you kind of pick them apart and you can tell by the color if they're viable or not, like whether or not they're going to turn into fruit. So we did like quick surveys and I think we estimated that we would have lost at, le at least half of the fruit, probably more. And we have a, a neighboring orchard on the other side of Whitefield that's a little bit smaller and that we work with them quite a bit. And they, they did experience that loss as well. I think we were a little bit better off than some folks farther south because the blossoms weren't as established. We have a chart of kind of like what stage the blossom is at and what temperature it can withstand. So, but that was a, that was so cold. I think we got like 19 degrees here. Is that what we got? Yeah, yeah. I think it was right around 20. Yeah, we have a little weather station. So that, that was, that was pretty bad. But yes, we, we have, I think we're trying to do the best we can in terms of resilience for climate change. You know, one of the biggest things we try and think about is drought events. Like we've had, you know, a few a few seasons of, of drought in years past. And there are some state level grant opportunities that we've taken advantage of. And that's been really helpful just in establishing like solid irrigation systems and different water sources. I think that's one of the biggest climate things that we've been actively working against. There's or just working to prepare for. Yeah. Uh, and when we planted the trees, it, we were in a drought. So we were very lucky that we had irrigation set up. But in terms of other climatic abiotic stressor events that can happen, most of them we're just going to have to deal with. Like they'll happen. Like we, the don't, we don't know yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> we will have freeze events. That will be bad. Hopefully there will be, you know, we will probably invest in some level of crop insurance. But other than drought, the apple trees can withstand quite a bit. The only other thing that is is really rough for the apple trees is like hailstorms, oh. depending on when they happen. But that other than that, it's like drought, the freeze the late freezes and uh, hail. Is there anything else? Those are the big ones. The tornado. I mean, yeah, apples are, are <laughs> resilient trees, especially once they're mature. Yeah. You know, our trees are still young right now, so they're still pretty vulnerable to a lot of those things, which is why we're, we're trying to baby them along as best we can. Yeah, we are grateful to the 
Association of Conservation Districts for a small grant that helped with some of that irrigation. If you were planting an orchard like this, like ours, in the 1980s or 90s, no one put irrigation on those trees because they didn't need them at the time. Now it's considered a necessity. Yeah. Um, so that's a change that we're seeing for sure. Yeah. And the, the only other, just it's just timely because we've had such historic events this past year it was um, there's flooding that's also been occurring mm-hmm. at pretty big rates yes and that is something that makes us a little bit unique compared to other farmers we're very as you know well not the listeners we're up very high we have very well-drained sloped soils um, so we're not like at near rivers or anything like that so likely other than just like wet, wet conditions create more fungus, which is, can be difficult to manage, but we don't have to worry about like fields getting flooded so much. So that's nice. Yeah. And it's so hard because you're dealing with mother nature and she is someone who like cannot be controlled by (laughs) us individually. It's not like you can say to the trees okay so we're getting some later frosts now so if you could just like bloom later that'd be fantastic that'd be like, so great it doesn't work like that so that's a huge like i can't even imagine trying to prepare for that so i no. respect just respect uh, all just out. emotional preparation yeah i'm and i'm sure that's a huge part of it <laughs> yeah. it's like this is my like thing and yeah yeah, I think being being emotionally and financially prepared, you know, taking that into account in our business planning of we may lose a crop once in, you know, every couple of years and uh, or may have a crop partially impacted. And then the other thing is just diversifying our own income streams, yeah. you know, so we're currently raising a variety of poultry. We are prepping an area to do blueberries. We'll probably do a number of other crops in addition so if we do lose uh, part of one thing then we have some other things to help that is a great lead-in because i feel like we've spent this entire time talking about what's gonna happen but we still we still can participate in tellman hill farm and why don't you tell us more specifically about what we can currently get yay at this exact at this exact moment uh, nothing. Well, no, that's not true. If this, it's depending on when this happens, it's a great thing to be saying publicly. <laughs> you can get cat joy. <laughs> no cats. Cats are not for sale. Well, all year round, you can get handmade chairs. I'll let Doug talk about that. But other than that, we are continuing to do pasture raised poultry. So for meat, so meat, chickens, and turkeys around the Thanksgiving holiday. And then we also raise chickens for eggs, pasture raised, and they all get moved every day onto fresh pasture. It's it's very beautiful and fluffy. So yes, basically chicken products and turkeys. And may I say, I heard fantastic reviews about these turkeys (laughs) this past year. Yay! Like multiple people gushing about their Thanksgiving turkey, which usually the turkey is the worst part of the Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> Agreed. No offense. It's true. It's so true. I think yeah. that's a real feat there. Well, to beat out you. stuffing. Like, yes. We're very happy to with beat how out they stuffing. came out. Yeah. 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 You want to talk about chairs? Please. 
Sure. Yeah, I was just going to mention. So our uh, none of our products are available in stores. So everything is purchased from the farm directly. Um, so eggs are available seasonally starting in the spring. And then we do a couple batches of chickens through the summer and into the fall. And then the turkeys are available right around Thanksgiving. And folks can visit our website or Instagram profile. It's all Talman Hill Farm and get on an email list to find out uh, when those are available and sign up for alerts and things. And chairs is what I do now to keep me busy in the winter. So they're, uh, you know, all wood chairs starting from trees that we cut on the property and the parts are split out and they're basically old timey New England farmer chairs. You can make them fancier or less fancy if you like, but you know, I do custom work so it can be an, an armchair or a side chair or a rocking chair or a, a set of chairs that match or don't match. Uh, so yeah, I was taking orders this summer in the Littleton Farmers Market, and that's a primarily a winter activity. So if I get orders through the year, then I build them over the course of the winter and can do delivery in the winter and spring. Yeah, yes. no one wants to be building a chair when you could be outside in the nice weather. Uh, there's so. too many other things to do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, old timey New England chairs, yes. comfortable, cute, cute, so chair. hip, so hip. Also stools. You didn't mention stools. And stools. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like what's a stool but a chair without a back, you know? I know, but it's it's very hip right now with the good posture and all that, you know? They're no, very like, I feel like it gives you worse posture. <laughs> I just remember it's when true. I was a kid, we only had stools, and my mom would mm. always threaten me about, do you want me to get you a, a chair with <laughs> a, a back? Because you're slouching. You know? yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I've been slouching this entire time, mm. so it does yeah. not make a difference. Not foolproof. Yeah. Anyways... <laughs> So then that's where we are now, and yeah, we're talking about yeah. process, so what's what's the yes. full scope? What oh. is that full dream? I heard some things about pick your own apples and cider and slushies, <laughs> so Yay. let's get it all. Let's look forward to something. I know. We're very excited. Yeah. It's evolving. Every time we go on a ski or hike, which is frequent, I feel like we add a new little twist. Um, so who You're knows? like, okay, so tomorrow there's going to be the merry-go-round. Oh, yes. And then there'll be over here Ooh, the... All right. Maybe a carousel. The game, yeah. Kittens, whatever. The vision right now is to continue with the pasture-raised poultry. And the big, the big thing that you mentioned is that we will... Ideally, have a pick-your-own-apple operation so people can come up here, pick apples, or buy apples pre-picked. We'll have fresh-pressed cider and also fresh-pressed cider slushies, which is... They're so in right now. (laughs) So good. (laughs) And maybe other, you know, little farm... Uh, fall farming treats, but that's that's TBD, TBD. Yeah. And that may be... Have some pumpkins and some oh, decorative yes, corn yeah. right. and some things to go with that and yeah. kind of give it that fall atmosphere. We started yeah. prepping fields, that's a good that's a good point, for pumpkins. So we'll have pumpkins grown here and other fall, fall things. Mm-hmm. There'll probably be some flowers that people can take their pictures in, you know, things like we that. We need the good Instagram spots, guys. Exactly. And the other things that we are actively preparing for, for sure, I think Doug already mentioned, but are blueberries. So another pick your own operation that would be earlier in the season, in the summertime, but that'll be a few years out. 
Yep. So the the apple trees are in the ground now, and and we hope we'll get our first crop either twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five. So coming up soon. Stay tuned. Blueberries. Hopefully, we'll plant some next year. So it'll be a couple of years after before we get those. And then we we did put in a a proposal to get a little funding to experiment with some oh, yeah. unusual sour cherry varieties. Uh, so we're working with Extension to talk about that. So we may play around with a few other crops. We're we're planting a few pear trees also in our orchard. So we'll have a few pears. And the apples will range. The goal is. For the pick your own to have fruit from the beginning of September until the end of October. And right now we have upwards of 30 different varieties. So some of the really conventional and classic New England apples like Macintosh and Macowan, Honeycrisp, more of a modern favorite, and some of the Honeycrisp's progeny like Snow Sweet and Crimson Crisp, which are really fun new varieties. And then we also have a small amount of a whole bunch of heirloom and rare varieties or varieties that are good for hard cider or good for baking pies. So trying to get a little bit of everything for a variety of uses. Yeah. Can we say our favorite apple that yes. we planted? <clears throat> Ooh. Should we do it on three? <laughs> <laughs> Chaos. That would be amazing if it was the same. But I don't I know. know. What not. is your yeah. favorite apple? Oh, my favorite is Pixie Crunch, which is mm. also, I feel like, a newer one on the scene, but it's it's very hot right now. They're they're called Pixie Crunch. Well, A, they're crunchy. They're also kind of tiny and cute, like a pixie, so they're kind of the lunchbox apple, mm-hmm. but they're so good. They're like a honey crisp times a million. That's a good one, yeah. I just have to say, you have the most dreamy look on your face right now. Just like, this is like everything to me right now. It is. I love them. What's your favorite, Doug? Do you know, I feel one? like I have favorites, a variety of favorites, depending on what time of the season it is. But one of the ones that I really like, a, an honorable mention we'll say, is uh, Keepsake, um. which came out of the... Minnesota breeding program where Honeycrisp came out of also. So it's a relative of that. But it keeps really well, as you'd imagine. And it, it's a later season variety and it has this really full kind of honey flavor to it. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one for people to seek out. Yum. I am not going to say my favorite. Oh. Because. No bias. Hey. Yeah. Because I feel like it has yet to be discovered. Ooh. And I will wait until I can come to Talman Hill Farm. Yay. To figure out what We'll do is. a taste test sometime. Yeah. Oh, we will. There'll yeah. be many a taste test. So, guys, thank you so much for being here today, for opening up your home, your farm. Your dogs, <laughs> your cats, to the yeah. podcast. Before we go, one final, final words of wisdom for us listeners. How can people stay up to date with happenings on the farm? Oh, yeah. All the things. Great. Yeah, we'd love for people to look us up online. We have a, a website, TelmanHillFarm.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Telman Hill Farm. And uh, if folks do go to the website, we have a newsletter you can sign up for, which is just periodic updates when something is available, poultry products, or when apples come available, we'll be the first to know. Yeah. And uh, we also go to the Littleton Farmer's Market when that's happening. Yeah. 
Indeed. And hopefully we'll have apple slices there for people to taste. Mm-hmm. Pick their favorite. Yeah, well, hope, hopefully we'll be at the farmer's market this September. Well, maybe there earlier, but this September with the first apple products for some tasting. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Maybe a cider slushy. <gasps> and if, if people are interested in poultry, we recommend the email newsletter. Um, we don't send out a lot. It's not like a spam thing, but the poultry tends to move very quickly. So people get, they get on the email list get there first. It's so hot. Thanks Yay. for your time. Thank this you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. I had so much fun making this episode, and I hope you had a good time listening to it too. And now I really want an apple cider slushie, even though it's probably like negative seven degrees outside right now. But hey, I feel like cider slushies are good all year round. You know, they transcend the boundaries of space and time. Kind of like the stories we tell on this podcast. Thank you again to Emily and Doug and Silas, the true star of the show, let's be honest, for coming on the podcast and sharing their story and the Telman Hill Farm story with us. If you feel stuck in the thick of winter, remember that apples are coming, people. They're coming. Look alive. If you liked this episode, make sure to like it, heart it, favorite it, whatever the terminology is on whatever platform you're listening on. If you extra liked it, it would mean the world to our little show if you left a rating and review. Or better yet, tell your friends. Or your enemies, for that matter. Nothing brings together friends and enemies alike more than a mutual podcast love. If you know of a story that deserves to be told on That's Rad, let us know so we can stay in the business of food, co-ops, and community. So, until next time, remember to eat, sleep, and be rad. go something like this. What do you mean what? The credits! That's Rad is a production of the Littleton Food Co-op. This episode was written, directed, and edited by Anastasia Marr. The executive producer is Annie Stewart. Littleton Food Co-op is your premier community-owned grocery store, serving the North Country of New Hampshire, the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, and beyond. All are welcome to shop, no membership required. Visit us today to satisfy your hunger for local food, fair prices, and exceptional customer service. You thought we were only in your wildest dreams, but we're actually conveniently located just off exit 41 in Littleton. Learn more about us or sign up to be a member at littletoncoop.com.
or check us out on social media at Littleton underscore co-op to keep up with your favorite grocery store with a podcast. Thanks for listening today and every day. Will that work? Yeah, you think that was good?